0: In one of Calvin and Hobbes' cartoon strips, Calvin and Hobbes, they're lying under a a, a tree, just in the shade of a tree of a hot summer day, and Calvin, the little hyperactive little boy, asks, "What what if there's no heaven? What if this is all we get? And Hobbes, being the tiger, answers, well, if this is all we get, I guess we'll just have to accept it. Calvin replies, yeah, but if I'm not going to be rewarded for my good deeds, I want to know now. (laughs) Yeah, that's a good point. He does really make a good point that if we knew that we weren't going to be rewarded for our good deeds, uh, why bother? Why bother now? You know, this life after death, what happens after death, immortality, these type of questions, they... They plague most every human being. Most every human throughout all of history has always at some point wondered, what happens when I die? What happens? And if you were to take a few months and study the writings of just virtually every other religion, you would discover that the history of every founder of every religion abruptly ends with their death. That may just be a point that seems pretty obvious. That the history that they're giving abruptly ends with their death. Yeah, I mean, if you take Confucius, Muhammad, who uh, was the beginning of Islam, Krishna, the beginning of the Hindu's, what are they doing now? What are any of them doing now? You know, we we're, nothing is what we would like to say, but even... Even their most devout followers, religious leaders and followers there can 't tell you for sure. What about the Christian faith? Does this Christian faith offer something different? is it Is it something unique? Is it something special? The written record in god's word has Countless eyewitnesses claiming that Jesus is God's son, that he did many miraculous things here on earth. Much of this stuff happened in a three-year period, not over a a full lifetime of some of these other world uh, religious leaders and religious starters, if you will. All this countless stuff coming up, and then, as Jesus is teaching all this, and then, He comes and he he sets his face to Jerusalem, as the gospels say. And as he gets to Jerusalem, he's put up on a cross and he dies and he's buried in a grave. What about this sounds different than any other religion so far? I mean, there's some things are taught different. Some things are focused on a little different. But honestly, up to this point, it's all on an equal playing field. It probably is, you, you choose the path that will lead you to heaven. It probably so far would make sense like that. And I'm wondering the disciples if they feel like that. It must have been a confusing time for Christ's followers. We look at it as only three days, but I'm wondering if that was about the longest three days in their lives. He died on this cross, and everything that he had taught about was new life, bringing in this new kingdom that he was going to be ruling. Where is it, Jesus? What happened? You died. Can you get into those shoes just a little bit? Can you just speculate how they were feeling? If you look at the end of the... Uh, the gospel of mark in chapter 16 at about verse 8 you'll you'll see maybe a little note in your bible i'm hoping it has it uh that it says the earliest manuscripts don't include the following basically it says from 9 on is not included in the early earliest manuscripts which bothered me as a student and as a as a child knowing that is is god's word messed up did did someone add some verses a little later? I've worked past that. That's not necessarily the issue here. The issue, if you look verses 1 through 8, you see that there's an empty tomb. There's something different. Christ is risen from the dead. And the ones that see this in first verses 1 through 8, they found this empty tomb, but according to the early manuscripts and where they end, Christ's followers fled from the tomb, trembling and bewildered. They said nothing to anyone because they were too frightened. In the earliest manuscripts, that's the way the Gospel of Mark ended. Despair. Doesn't sound like good news, does it? They ran away, bewildered and scared. Now, the add-on on the rest of Mark, on these later manuscripts, has a little bit more positive ending. But if the early manuscripts are true, is that any way to end a story? And they ran away, scared to death. One of the speakers yesterday saying, that doesn't make a good story. That's not how it fits. You want them to conquer and be, everything work out right. I like watching a lot of different movies. I like the movies that give you a twist. I don't know if you've ever seen, seen the movie Fallen. My wife is already shaking her head. She does not like this movie. I made her watch it once, right? And yeah, made her watch it once. The reason being, is I'll, I'll give a little bit away, is that it doesn't end like you want it to. It's one of those movies that is supposed to, you want movies to have a happy ending, or at least a good ending. This one doesn't. And I like it because of that, because it just messes my world up. Movies are supposed to end good. This one doesn't. It's kind of fascinating. She won't let me own it, though, so I would let you borrow it, but I don't have it. But that's not a way to end a story. Scared to death. Now, the other Gospels go into the fact that Jesus had appeared and he helped bring them to, we, we talked about this in class and in sermons before, that The disciples were gathered in the upper room. Jesus shows up among them. Thomas wasn't there. He does everything he can, showing himself to two disciples along the road, to Martha, all these people, showing himself, saying, I'm here. I really am. I'm not done. That was just the start. That's completely different than anything else that we see in any other religion. Acts 1, though, picks up the story. In Acts 1, verses 1 through 5, in my first book I told De Theophilus, his first book is Luke, the same one that wrote Acts, about everything Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving his, his chosen apostles further instructions through the Holy Spirit. During the 40 days after his crucifixion, he appeared to the apostles from time to time, and he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive, and he talked to them about the kingdom of God. Once, when he was eating with them, he commanded to them, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised. As I told you before, John baptized with water, but in just a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Jesus, for 33 years, walked around on this earth and worked. Did what he could to just uh, to pour everything he had into his disciples for those last three years, training them, teaching them about everything that needed to happen. And then he died. In our book, death is, is, if you didn't have a retirement before, death is your retirement. You're done from working, right? That's what it seems like. That's how we view death. Jesus' work wasn't done. He died, came back. And as verse 3 here says, he kept on teaching his disciples about the kingdom of God. No other religion can claim something like that. They might even, some may claim that they've come back, but it's to rule. Now, Christ did come back to rule, but Christ here for 40 days taught more. He taught them. The disciples were still learning, trying to understand about the kingdom of God and when it would reign on earth. Uh, Verses six, six through eight say, so when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? He replied, the father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, but they are not for you to know. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. They wanted Christ to free Israel now. That would make sense, wouldn't it? Before Christ had done all these miracles. Remember he'd raised Lazarus from the dead. He had fed 5,000. He has healed any ailment basically that they could think of that was unhealable. What better leader to have in your military, as your country, to have someone who can do all this stuff. Now, he has cheated death. He died, was buried, raised from the dead. Who better to lead this new revolution, if you will, this new kingdom that Christ has talked about so much. Now, is it the time? The apostles ask, is it now? Christ says, the Father has set the time. It's not for you to know. Later on, he says, I don't even know, really. Well, in the Gospels, he says, I don't know when it is. The Father has set this time. I'm not sure they expected Christ to do this very next thing. Because everything that has been coming up here, I'm not sure they saw this coming. Verse 9. After saying this, he was taken up into a cloud while they were watching. And they could no longer see him. Can you imagine how they felt? I'm wondering if the thoughts of those three days, whenever he was in the grave, came back. He's gone. Into Mark's gospel, scared, afraid. Maybe those things are coming back. Maybe just a little bit. I don't know, maybe not. Maybe they understood something about Christ now. Maybe this was just a short trip. He said he would never leave us. Maybe he's just going to co- go converse with the Father, then he'll be back. So what are they doing? They're waiting. They're standing there, watching it go, which I'm sure was an impressive sight. I know we will get to see the reverse of it someday. And I'm sure that's going to be an impressive sight. But after he was gone, you know, if, if you're watching something, you see Let's say it's just an airplane go through the sky. There comes a point whenever you know it's still going, but you can't see it anymore. I'm wondering if that's how that felt. They they couldn't see Jesus anymore, but they knew he was still going. When's he coming back? How would that feel? Do we wait? Do we wait here for him? You know, during uh, during the bringing up of a lot of the Catholic Church and when monks... And monasteries became a big thing in the in religious world. There were monks that would go and stand on, you know, build monasteries up on high pillars. There's some of those in Greece that are almost inaccessible except by one rope. And to be close to God and be set apart from the world. But there's one monk that I read about while I was in Athens. That they have ancient ruins of their old marketplace. And they have these pillars that are, I mean, probably no bigger than this right here. And they go up probably, you know, 30 feet. And there was a monk that I believe it was for five years sat on top of one of those. One of his disciples would come and bring him food. Never left. Rain, shine, whatever. His whole purpose was he was waiting for Christ to come back. He was just sitting up there waiting. Verse 10 through 11. They're waiting. They're looking. As they strained to see him rising into heaven, two white-robed men suddenly stood among them. Men of Galilee, they said, why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taking from you into heaven, but someday he will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. Why are you staring into heaven, they ask. In essence, they're saying, what are you still doing here? What are you doing? He's gone, but what did he tell you? Don't you got work to do? Jesus told him to do something, that's for sure. For three and a half years, Jesus had been preparing his disciples for the mission before them. And as we see it towards the end with the Gospels, you come up to this great thing, and now I am sending you, so go, therefore, into all the nations of the world, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy going through all this, to go, go into all the world. That's what, right there at the end of the Gospels, that's saying. So what I'm seeing right here is, what are you waiting for? These two men are saying, what are you waiting for? Christ told you to go, go. But the instruction was a little bit different here. The go that was in the the recorded in the Gospels was what they were going to be doing. But Christ said... To do one more thing before you go. Wait. Stay here in Jerusalem. That was his final command. I I don't like waiting. Surely Christ wasn't telling them to just sit and wait. But we just read that's his word. It's often his word for us. I I don't like waiting. Waiting personally think that if I go to a doctor and as long as I'm there have to wait on him, you know, that ought to at least deduct from the price that we pay. I don't like waiting in line. I went to uh, the funeral yesterday and I knew I was going to have to try to jet soon afterwards. And so as I was parking, I got directed into a certain parking spot and I was like, I'm not, I need to need to hurry, but I couldn't really fight with them because they were saying park here. And I was like, okay, So I went and parked, and as I got out of the funeral service, I'm like, good, I can make good time and make it back and get Brian up to Borger to lead singing. Things will be good. And I went to my my truck, and I noticed there was about three, four cars surrounded it. No way of getting out. Had to wait. Kills me to wait. Absolutely kills me, especially whenever I got something to do. I've got a purpose. Wait. Wait on it. Surely not, Lord. We just naturally don't like to wait. Have you ever been stuck in traffic just for more than a minute? I mean, a minute seems like a long time, but have you ever been in there for more than a minute? Boy, if you're not getting restless, the people around you sure are. I don't like waiting. (laughs) How long till Christmas? gotta wait but the thing is there are actually different kinds of waiting if you think about it there are really different kinds of waiting there's this idle waiting that just about kills me and then there's this what i might call an active waiting most most of us understand the idle waiting i've kind of already described that in line at a store you know you just happen to pick the slowest teller and the person with the most groceries it takes forever But the act of waiting, in my recent life, I would probably say it would be like pregnancy. We were waiting nine months, well, just over eight months, for Michaela to come. But what were we doing most of that time waiting? We were preparing. I was painting the nursery. I was putting together stuff. I was cleaning up the house, getting breakables out of the way, whatever it may be. Before our first kid, we were definitely actively waiting. It wasn't a passive thing whatsoever. When the angels then ask these disciples, why are you staring into heaven? They're meaning, hurry up. Get the job Christ, get, get the job that Christ told you to do. Get, go get it done. Which means right here, go wait. Go back to Jerusalem. That's what Christ told you to do. There in uh, verse 4, Acts 1 verse 4, if I can, this thing quit working I think on me. All right, that might be fun. So what did they do as they were waiting? I think this is one of the most impressive parts of this whole story, is that they go to wait. That's what they were told to do. Go wait on the gift from the Spirit. What are they going to do while they wait? What had they done before? They were all kind of sulking up there in the upper room, weren't they? When Christ showed up the first time, they positioned themselves to receive this promise. This promise mentioned was the promise of, of the gift from, from the father. But Verses 12 and 13. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, a distance half a mile. When they arrived, they went to the upstairs room of the house where they had been staying. They went to the upper room. The same upper room where they had the last supper. It is believed the same upper room that Christ first appeared to them. This, had some upper, this upper room had some significance to them. This was the place that Jesus had worked some impressive stuff at the end of his life and at the beginning after his death. They knew Christ was going to keep his promise. The Father was going to send his gift. Let's wait. Let's position ourselves in the right place. So they did. While they were there, they prayed. They prayed while they were waiting They all met together and were constantly united in prayer, along with Mary, the mother of Jesus, several other women, and the brothers of Jesus. Now we see that the brothers of Jesus have come into it. John Wesley once said, Nothing happens in the kingdom of God unless it is preceded by prayer. You know, it might have been easy for some of them to say, "I I don't really need to pray. Jesus has already promised the Spirit. He knows what I need. The Spirit is coming. Why do I need to pray? But what were they doing? They were praying. They already knew the promise was coming, yet they stayed fervent in their petitions to God. We often forget about the importance of prayer, especially in our times of waiting on God. I'm sure you have never waited on God for anything. But Luke 18 says, Verses 2-7 through talks about this, this persistent widow and the unjust judge. That whole story about that she keeps on coming to him, keeps on coming to him. And finally, out of her persistence, he grants the request. Maybe it should be an encouragement to us that are waiting on God. Some may be waiting for loved ones to come to Jesus, keep praying. Some may are suffering maybe from illness. And waiting on healing, keep praying. Some may have lost direction in their life, keep praying. I think that's what they're saying here, the apostles are saying by their prayer. But more than just positioning them in the right place and praying, they studied while they were waiting. During this time, there was about 120 believers were together in that one place. Peter stood up and addressed them. Brothers, he said, the scriptures had to be fulfilled concerning Judas, who guided those who arrested Jesus. This was predicted long ago by the Holy Spirit through speaking through King David. Judas was one of us and shared in the ministry with us. You got to know that the apostles had some animosity towards Judas. They must have had some some hurt feelings. Judas was one of them, and he betrayed the Lord. And then he went and killed himself. It must have had mixed feelings, and so they went to Scripture to explain it. How often do we do that? How often do we, whenever we are confused about something, something happened, someone hurt us, or whatever it may be, how often do we go to Scripture to find comfort? How often do we go to scripture to find an answer? Normally we try to perceive it in our own minds. Well, we write them off. That was their tendency. They were, you know, he was stealing from the funds anyway. This is just where the path he was going. But Peter looks at it and says, scripture foretold this. Yeah, we may not have seen it before, but since we've studied it, we see this. Have you ever tried to put something together without reading instructions? Men, never, yeah. Women usually do a good job of reading the instructions and going through it. Men just throw away the, the destructions and keep on going. But it always bugs me whenever I, I end up with extra pieces. I think they just throw those in there just to make men mad. I don't think they're useful. I think we, we, pro- we put it together right. But you know, whenever you come through it and it doesn't work quite right, you have to take it apart a few steps and start putting it back together. And last resort, you pull out the instruction book and say, okay, you know, you go lock yourself in a closet so no one sees that you're looking at the instructions. But you look at it and you say, oh, that's where that piece goes. It starts to make sense when you are in the instructions. Life is like that many times, but we often... Forget to read the instructions. The scriptures are there for us. And they provide that instruction through all of life. And we may not have found the answer we're looking for. Keep looking. It's there. Not only were they studying and praying, but they actually... Got to work. I forgot about this verse real fast on the on the scripture. Peter continued. This was written in the book of Psalms, where it says, "Let his home come become desolate with no one living in it." It says, "Let someone else take his position." That was in scripture, and from that they came that they need to be prepared while they were waiting. They need to make preparations still while they are waiting on God. And these preparations here, as it says, so now we must choose a replacement for Judas among. Among the men who were with us for the entire time we were traveling with the Lord Jesus. From the time he was baptized by John until the day he was taken from us, whoever is chosen will join us as a witness of Jesus' resurrection. They knew business had to be taken care of. They didn't just sit idly by. Things had to be done. There was an empty spot. Jesus chose 12. There were now only 11. We got to fill that spot. So Matthias uh, came into that position through the casting of lots. But there's more going on in this section than just finding a replacement for Judas. We've, if we have called on God for something, and he's causing us to wait, that doesn't take away our responsibility of doing things in the meantime. Later on, Paul will talk about that. Of those that just go up on their roof and wait on Jesus to come back, he says, get to work. There's stuff to do while you wait. We see this even more so uh, with David, King David, before he was king. Well, I guess while he was king in 1 Chronicles 28 and 29, he wanted, he had built this huge, built this huge house for him that was wonderful. And he wanted to build God a temple he said, why should I have such a good house and not you, Lord? Let's get you a good house. And he says, no, wait. Your son, he can build it, but not you. David at that point could have said, okay, Lord, that's fine. And let his son do it. Just waited on him. But what did David do instead? David started gathering all the materials that it would take for his son to build the temple. He didn't just wait on it and let his son take care of it all. He started gathering all the materials. I think that's an impressive little idea that David had. He said, you know what? I'm not going to wait on this. I may not be able to build it, but I'm going to do everything I can to be prepared. Maybe if God changes his mind, I'll be ready. We don't see throughout this any complaining of the disciples, of having to wait, of David here. God says, wait. Wait. Our first response is, eh, No, Lord. I don't want to wait. Why can't you just have, give that to me now? Why can't you just tell me? Wait. But Lord, it would help me out so much to know the answer. Wait. But Lord, can't you heal this person? My grandfather. Can't you heal them? Just wait, Lord. Wait. I don't like to wait. And sometimes whenever I have to wait, I complain about it. Sometimes God, as a loving Father, makes us wait on Him. He makes us wait for the purposes that it actually does us good. Waiting, as a parent, we know having a child, when you make them wait, for a gift, for that delayed gratification, whatever it may be. It produces something within them. For one, it's anger. But later on, they learn how to control that. And it's patience. They understand patience. And they understand what waiting is all about. But in that middle of that waiting, there's still stuff to do. The angels promised in verse 11 that Christ would come back again. And in essence, they told the disciples, what are you waiting for? Maybe even more so, maybe it's more explicit of saying, what are you doing while you're waiting? We are all still waiting on Christ to come back. We are all still waiting on his return in that triumphant day whenever every tear will be wiped away, as we're told in Revelation and many other promises that are going to come when Jesus comes back. We're waiting on that. But while we're waiting, we've got work to do. We've got things that Christ has put on our hearts. Things that we need to be doing here in this world. So what are we doing while we're waiting? If you are waiting on Jesus to come back, it's a wonderful place to be. It can be crazy at some points, but I hope that you take comfort in the fact that He is coming back. If you are waiting on Jesus to somehow touch your life, there's no better day than today to come forward and be baptized in the baptism and and quit living in that life of sin and be ready with Jesus. I hope you're prepared for that day. And if you're not, if you need to let anything known to this congregation, would you please come forward as we stand and sing?